My name's Christian, for those that don't know. Um, I'll be um, continuing on from what Jules was talking about last week. If you can remember, ooh, there may be a prize. Um, but we'll go straight into Scripture. 1 Samuel 30, verses 1 to 6, we'll talk into a story where David is leading an army and it doesn't go too well. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, and they found that the Amalekites, I cannot say this, Amalekites, <laughs> Amalekites, yeah, them, had made a raid, I should have pronounced this, made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. I shouldn't sound so happy, should I? They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, and you can do this one, Ahinom, is that right? Ahinom, from Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all the men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. Cheery story at this point, isn't it? But, uh, but there we are. Uh, we'll come back to that in a bit. Um, I, I, you must have had experiences in your lives at some point, you've got to tell me, where things have not been going great. Yes? Can you tell me that? Or have you all been peachy all the way through so far? If, it, if you, you have, it's all been good all the time. That's good. I hope it carries on that way. There are times in life where things are not that great, as it wasn't for David here. I've had many uh, different jobs in, in the time of my existence on the planet so far. Um, I've had times where, when I worked in insurance where somebody rang up and wanted me sacked which wasn't a great moment in my time. It's just a, a random kind of thing that he wanted. I don't know why. Um, I've had many experiences within the teaching world where people either, uh, well, didn't, didn't like me at all, I would say. Um, I had one class, the more recently, um, I'm now no, I'm no longer a maths teacher, but it was probably in my most, I was probably only a few years ago. So I'd been an experienced teacher, 16, 17 years at this point. And I had this class and they were incredibly difficult to handle. I mean, you're talking about the kind of class where fires were going off all, not literally fires, but fires, it felt like fires were going off all the time. Do you know what I mean? So I could be teaching it, and, and there'd be a fire going off here, and I'd be like trying to put that out, and then as soon as I'm, I'm, I'm over here trying to do that, over here, I've got to go over here now because it's all kicking off there, and now it is in the middle, and so you're not just firefighting the whole time until the whole class is on fire. And, and that's not a pleasant place to be. And they were like this for ages, this class. There was one particular student, even the isolation room couldn't handle him. I'd send, <laughs> I'd send one guy there frequently, actually, interestingly. They said, can you not send him anymore? We, <laughs> in a room on his own, we can't deal with him. <laughs> I'm like, what do you do with that? Anyway, so there were three of these kids in the end that got permanently excluded which isn't easy to do these days. You have to, you have to go quite, yeah, you have to put in a lot of effort to get permanently excluded. Um, but there we are. So it was an interesting class. They were not easy at all. I would say just like David, I was distressed, a little vexed. I wasn't being threatened with being stoned, thankfully, but I was being threatened quite a few times. Implied, 
Not explicitly. They weren't offering me out for a fight very often, but, uh, but they, they were very, very, uh, very, well, not nice. <laughs> at the time, we'll return to that as well in a minute. So at the moment, uh, we will look at um, this. We are discussing today uh, the continuing series of what Jules was discussing last week. So the big question, it will be that in a minute. But this time, this time there's some new chocolate. Ooh! That's some interaction there. You're supposed to say, ooh. Ooh! Now, this is called the Fruit of the Spirit chocolate. Yeah! What about that? And if you eat this, you get patient, you get love, you get joy. <laughs> Whatever you want is in a mouthful of this chocolate. I don't, you know, people say, oh, I'm stressed, I was just want some chocolate. Well, there it is. There's your solution. You've just got to win it this time. So the question is, who was paying attention to Jules' preach last week? Ellie, you're straight up there. Go on. Going in great. Brilliant. Yes, there we are. Can we, can we do that? Give it a hand. Round of applause. Very good. Growing in grace is what he was looking at. And uh, he did a splendid job. And that's what we'll be looking at again next. So this is, this is an, an important concept, the whole point of, of growing in grace. And we'll discuss why now. Because it's a massive impact in our lives. Um, it will release, if we grab this properly, it will release God's mighty power into our own personal weaknesses, into our own personal struggles, in such a way that we can have hope, we can have strength, we can, where at the moment you may feel heavy and frail, you can have something on the inside, some real energy, some real resilience to be able to handle the things that life chucks our way. Grace is a hugely powerful force, massively so. And it overcomes all sinfulness, it overcomes all evil, it keeps our hearts turned to Jesus, and it kindles the flame inside for him. All right? That's got to be a good reason for plugging into my preach today, hasn't it? Thank you. (laughs) You will not be tested at the end for being so enthusiastic. (laughs) But there we are. So let's just ask a question very quickly to kick off with. Who are, who are, our, who are, the, who are society's current heroes, would you say? Who are the people that society puts up on a pedestal and says, these are the people that uh, we want to talk about. These are the people that are amazing in our lives. Anyone that you can think of? The Queen. The Queen. Very good. Yes. Former President Ronald Reagan. Ronald, Ronald Reagan. Do you know, out of all of the people, I was not expecting him to to crop up in that there. You've you've diverted my preach slightly into a different angle there. But we'll, uh, yeah, Ronald Reagan, okay. Anybody else? That that rings rings a bell? No? Any? No? You can can Google. Sorry? Greta, a hero, a very big hero of society. That's nice. I like we're doing that. Yes. Nelson Mandela, you're coming up with, some of you coming up with some quite righteous ones here, which is, is, which is quite nice, well, you know. Um, but, um, yes, it's very good. Um, society, generally speaking, will look at a lot of people as a hero. Um, footballers, actually, would probably be the most idolised people in our society, in our UK society at the moment, weirdly enough. Not that they deserve it, they only work on Saturdays, but... You know, there you go, that's their lives. Um, And they get paid a lot of money for it. 
Well, a lot of all these people that you've also mentioned, absolutely, they, they have been, they've been put up and they've been idolized or they've put up as a, as a hero and so on and so forth. And these are the people that we would look at. Society elevates the best people, the, the most powerful people, the wealthiest people a lot of the time, um, the most successful. Yes, would you say that's true? The, the people that, um, you know, you might not, I'm not saying you do, but society at large would do that. Society will raise these people up as the winners. It will raise these people up as enjoying the best possible life. That's the people you want to be like. You want to be like this footballer because he's got all the wealth, he's got all the talent, he's got all of this going for him here. And it pushes down those who haven't made it, who haven't quite made it, who aren't like that at all. And it's easy, it's very easy to think that if we're going to enjoy life at all, we've got to be strong. We've got to know all the answers. We've got to be getting it right all the time. We've got to be confident. We've got to have life all together. Yeah? If we're going to be a winner, you've got to be like that because that's how society will put things out. And if you're a man, you've got to ask no one for help because that's the way we are, even when asking for directions. So, moving on. What if, what if, what if it's not always like that? What if things go wrong? Or maybe going wrong at the moment. What if we fail at times? What if, what if we feel anxious? What, if, what happens if we feel weak? If we doubt? What if we're in that mindset or in that position where life's been chucking so much rubbish at us that it's difficult to stay afloat? What if that happens? Are we no longer to be thinking of ourselves as any good anymore? Because it's easy to think that the weaknesses, it's easy to think that the struggles of life are way too much and to be overwhelmed. It's easy to feel useless in our weaknesses. It's easy to see no hope. It's easy to see no future when we're feeling like that. Would you agree? Yeah, it's the way it is. When life goes down, it goes south, then dearie me, you can be feeling all sorts of emotions and they can get very overwhelming. Let's return to 1 Samuel 30 verse 6 where David was having a bad time. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Now if you read on with the story, it doesn't say how, that's it. You're just given like a little bit, a little glimpse there, but in that one little, it's not even a verse, it's just a few words, um, we're given a glimpse, a tiny, tiny glimpse of David's approach to tragedy. Okay, everything's gone wrong. The whole families have been taken away, the city's been burned, and to top it all off, his army that were behind him are now wanting to stone him. That's how bad they feel. It's, it couldn't get much worse, really, in all of that situation. And so he turns to God. He turns to God very quickly. It, the Bible doesn't give us much on it at all. Where everything's gone wrong, he strengthens himself in the Lord. What on earth does that look like? It doesn't say. He actually gives you no clue at all other than now and now feeling strong again. It doesn't say that he went off and had a quiet time. It doesn't say that he spent 
55 hours praying and weeping and reading the Bible. He doesn't say anything. He just said he strengthens himself in the Lord. But it must be good because he takes the troops from wanting to stone him to wanting to get and pursue their enemies, to pursue them again. He gets them from a position of opposition to let's get behind you, David, let's do this thing again. Now, something must have happened in this strengthening position here. And if we go into the New Testament, we get a clearer look, I think, of what was taking place here. I'll get a clearer look of what it really looks like. So 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to 10, um, is talking about Paul. And he says the following, or it's a letter from Paul, in fact. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away, and each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and in the hardships and in the persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Whatever Paul's thorn in the flesh was, and it's not made clear in the Bible, it's open to debate, so better not speculate, really. But God's power in him was stronger. That's what's going on here. It's whatever this was happening, whatever the external circumstances, he's saying, God's power in me is bigger, is better. He can handle this. I can handle this because of God who lives inside of me. I can handle this because of the God who lives in me. Because of Jesus inside of me, I can handle what's going on. So it does make you think at that point of this switch of mindset that must have been taking place always. That the weaknesses, that the struggles, that the difficulties that we can have are not to be feared. Because they're not the end of hope, rather the star of God's incredible power working through us. And it's interesting how we do fear hope. We do fear weakness. We do fear insults. We do fear struggles. Dear me, I like an easy life, don't get me wrong. But when difficulties come against you and against you and against you, it's easy to think, oh, God, again, it's so difficult when this happens. And yet, these are God's glorious opportunities to shine through us the most. These are God's opportunities to rise up and to show us exactly. We want to feel invincible. We want to go everywhere feeling strong. We want to go around everywhere feeling like we can do everything, don't we? I mean, it's how we, that's how we're wired, I think, a lot of the time. We want to go around feeling fearless. But Jesus' power works the most through our weakness. And it's an important truth. Because what do you feel weak in right now? What is it that you would put your hand on and say, this is what I'm struggling with right now? This is what I'm actually going through right now. And to be honest with you, it hurts and it's making me feel rubbish. And right now, I really wish it wasn't there. Is it at work? Is it at home? Is it in relationships? It could be your prayer life. It could be anything. It could be just you're feeling low on confidence. But whatever it is, it's there that Jesus' power shines the brightest. It's there that Jesus' power can flow through us the most. 
And it's really important that we don't look at the problems that we have and go, right, how am I going to solve that to get to that place, to get to that level, to get to that level, and just move it all up. Because God takes things from the ashes, as we said already, and throws them all up and says, there's hope here massively. And it is just going to take more of me to do that. It's working in us. It's in our places of weakness that Jesus' power is made perfect. It's where we stop trying and we let him do it. The Passion Translation puts it the best, I think, when it says it like this. For my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. I like the imagery there. I think there's something really, really powerful there. Yeah, I'm weak here. I've got nothing left. Oh, brilliant, God says. Now I can move in and do something. It's like he's almost waiting for permission for us to give up and say, I'm not going to be doing it myself anymore. And God moves in to do it. Our weakness enables us, enables us to receive the power of God. So how does it actually look? You know, what's going on? There's, there's, a, there's a couple of verses that are very, very, very important, still in the New Testament. Um, James 4, verse 6, still on grace, says the following. And he gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God's grace in us grows as we humble ourselves. That basically means I can't do it by myself. Yes? That is as we realize that we need him. Does that make sense? Yeah. As we realize we need him, his grace grows in us. As we realize we need him, he pours out more and more and more of himself into us. As we realize we need him, we are going to be receiving more and more and more and more of the grace and the power of God. As we realize we need him, which is why weaknesses are really good because weaknesses help us know we need him. All right? The more we think we don't, well, how much do you pray when you don't need him? I'll put it like that. How much do you pray when you think you're all right? And how much do you pray when you really know you need him? All right? When it's all going south. You, there's a big difference. And it's all to do with the, the place of our heart and the way our heart is turned. If we know we need Jesus, we'll pray so, so much more. So that's the way that the writer of James put it. But right at the start of the Gospels, or not right at the start, but when Jesus is Beatitudes, he says the following, Matthew 5, verse 3, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That's the first Beatitude, which is interesting. It's almost like that's the start. That is the start of all of it. Everywhere where we recognize our weakness, everywhere where we pray, Jesus, I need you, is everywhere God's power is poured out into our lives, where his power is perfected. But this verse is, in fact, how we became Christians. All right? Did you know that? Yes, I did know that. This is how you became Christians. This is your first step. Jesus, I can't save myself. I can't become a Christian. I can't come into your kingdom on my own merit. This is where we realize that we couldn't be made right with God by ourselves, And we accepted his work for us, his free offer into God's kingdom. That is the start. So we've already begun. This is, this is amazing grace, as we were singing. This is what it's about. 
because this is the first step. It's the first step of our walk with Jesus, and it's how we continue walking with Jesus in that constant relationship, that constant dependent relationship by constantly coming back to him, where it says in John 15, being, remain in the vine. It's that staying and staying with him all of the time where we're constantly talking to him. We're constantly saying, I need you in this place of my life because I need to see you move out of it. I need something breaking out. Praying, Jesus, I need you, is a very powerful prayer. Let me just tell you, it makes a huge difference. It changes things. It changes us, first of all, I would say. It's probably the the most important part of it. It changes us. As you pray, as we pray, Jesus, I need you, we accept our weakness, and it releases God's power to flow through us. Got that? That's possibly the most important thing I'm going to say. As we pray, Jesus, I need you, we accept our weakness, and it releases God's power to flow through us. That's really, really important in all of this. We're simply giving God permission, simply giving God permission to move into us in whatever area you need him to. So whatever area right now you're struggling with, whatever area right now is your weakness, whatever area right now in your life you're thinking, this is going bad at the moment, This is it. Jesus, I need you. You pray, Jesus, I need you. And name it and see him move. I don't know what your struggles are. I don't know what you're going through right now. But invite him into those places. Jesus, I need you to move in those areas. I need you to to change things. You may be struggling with a particular sin. You may be struggling with a particular temptation. You may be struggling with a particular situation with your finances. I don't know what they are. But whatever your weaknesses are, You invite Jesus in, and his power is released in you every single time. So returning to my story at the start, where I taught this class that was opposed completely to learning maths, and all of you might be thinking, well, I am opposed to learning maths. I have no idea how you feel about maths. But that was there. The atmosphere was horrible. All right, every single day I had to teach this class, and every single day the atmosphere was horrible. And it humbles you after a while when you realize you can't do the job that you're being paid to do. You, you know, they're there hating it every time. They're there going, oh, God, this guy should be sacked. He's useless. You may feel like that right now. I don't know. There's not enough laughter in the room on that one, is there? <laughs> okay, make a note. Don't make that joke again. <laughs> Um, so I was driven to pray. I was driven to pray into that situation. Yeah, and all it was was, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, teach through me. Jesus, love these kids. I didn't want to love these kids. These kids were unlovable. Trust me, they were, they were you know, incredibly difficult. Jesus, love these kids through me. Teach these kids through me. I cannot do this job anymore when it, when it comes to these children. Because there was no loving me naturally for them. You know, you must know people like that in your life where you find it hard to love. Yes? Some of you are looking at me like, yeah, I know people like that. And others are like, no, I am very, very well behaved with all of the people that come into my life. That's very good indeed. If you've managed to reach that place then, then you can come up next week and preach. Uh, (laughs) But that was it. I found nothing in me. But as I prayed that, grace was poured out inside me. And I was strengthened on the inside. 
Something happened on the inside. The kids, can I just say this? The kids didn't magically just turn into angels. Yeah, I didn't pray it, and then all of a sudden, angels descended and sat next to every one of the kids and went, that's how you do your math. Shut up and listen to Mr. Walsh. It didn't quite work like that. I mean, I wish it did, but it didn't work like that. All right? What happened was that I was strengthened on the inside. What happened was that I was changed on the inside. What happened was that I allowed Jesus into my weakness. I allowed Jesus into a bit of the, the me which I couldn't do. And in every single one of us right now, there's that same thing, where you, there's a part of you which is weak right now. And if you're not, then you're perfect and you're just like Jesus and you never need to pray. Although you do because Jesus always did pray. So maybe there is still something to be learned there. But that's the reality. He changed me on the inside. And as I changed, so did the students. And that happened that way round. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I walked in, and all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, but over a period of a few days, I'm thinking, I can do this now. And there's a confidence, and there's a joy in me. I'm enjoying, the, I'm enjoying these lessons. How on earth can I be enjoying these lessons? But I'm enjoying these lessons because Jesus is in me, and Jesus is doing it. And the students started to enjoy it. And if that's not a miracle, that students can enjoy maths in set five, then I haven't got a clue what is. <laughs> but there you go. That's another story. Um, it's good. Our greatest struggles are our biggest opportunities for God to move. And so whatever you are struggling in today, whatever, just tell Jesus that you need him to move in that situation. Let him move. And your outward circumstances, they may change. But even if they don't, you will be filled with an inner power to be able to handle everything that you're going through. Okay? Whatever happens on the outside, the inside changes, and his grace is sufficient, and his power is made perfect in you. This, this has a massive application for every single part of our lives, by the way. It's also in... Um, a general outreach to other people. Often people say they struggle to talk about Jesus. They struggle to, to mention with their friends the importance of, you know, to talk, to talk about evangelism at all in any respect. The word evangelism even has a, has a negative concept, doesn't it? But it shouldn't because actually it's just having a natural conversation with people. But at the same time, it's so very easy to not be confident talking to people about Jesus. It's so very easy to think, I can't do this. I don't know all the answers. I don't know what to say all the time. I don't know where to come in from that. But again, this is where God's grace is sufficient in exactly this place as well. Okay? So if you struggle in that area, then let God's grace be our wisdom and let God's grace be our strength and confidence and everything else that we need to be able to do that. In whatever area that you notice, tell Jesus that you need him and watch him move. Because we're a church that believes in loving God and loving people and saving souls and, and making disciples. That's who we are. That's who we are as a church. And as we live that out from the inside out, then that's what we're going to see things change. So, our greatest struggle, I keep saying it, our greatest struggles are our biggest weaknesses. 
our biggest weakness, biggest opportunities for God's power to be made perfect in us. That's the thing to think of right now. So whatever we're struggling with, do, do, do bring it back to telling Jesus that you need him and then watch him move. Can we have every head bowed at this point, please? If that was a word for you today, if you want to see the grace of God, if you want to see the power of God work in whatever your weaknesses are, whatever your struggles are right now, can I ask you to raise your hand, please, and I'll pray into whatever the situations are that you're going through. Brilliant. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much. Excellent. Okay. Lord Jesus, for everyone here who's raised their hand or has kept it up, Lord God, I pray right now that just invite you, invite your spirit into their deepest needs, Lord God, right now. We invite you right now to work into their deepest, deepest struggles, their deepest weaknesses, Lord God, that your grace may abound, Lord God, more and more and more, and that they can see themselves change from the inside out. They can see you grow from the inside out. They can see themselves move and be and just grow more and more and more into the image of Jesus as you become perfected in them through your grace and your power. In Jesus' name, amen.